Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Fail Time Muscle podcast. On this week's episode, I sat down with Sky Sports trackside reporter Luke Shanley. Luke details his journey from studying social sciences at uni to working in a bank to eventually making it in the football media, landing his dream job with Sky Sports, where he has interviewed some of the biggest names in Scottish football. I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. So Luke, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I hope you're keeping well. Yeah, very well, thanks. Good stuff. So um, we, we'll just jump right into it, if that's all right. Um, always like to sort of start with asking guests about their early football and memories. Um, so what was football like for you growing up? I believe you grew up in Edinburgh. Yeah, I grew up in Edinburgh. So, you know, I, I think I've been to over 100 Edinburgh derbies now. Um, and obviously that was a sort of big game when I was growing up, the, the one that mattered uh, the most. So, yeah, that was always... Uh, Exciting, but yeah, I mean, uh, growing up watching football in the 90s, really, you know, the crowds weren't massive, uh, you know, back then. But uh, I, I remember going to, to Easter Road, Tynecastle, and Meadowbank to watch games uh, primarily Easter Road and um, in the old cow shed at Easter Road watching games there. And then if you would go to, to Tynecastle, it would be the main stand for, for games, uh, for Derby games, usually because um, my dad didn't want to stand behind the goal. So, yeah, I, it was, you know, it, it's one of those ones when I was a kid, I, I hated football until I was about seven, eight years old. And then the 91-92 season, whatever it was, it just clicked and I all of a sudden loved football. And uh, after that, then I wanted to be a goalkeeper. Um, I, just Andy Gorham and Jim Layton at the time playing for Scotland were just the guys I looked up to. So, uh, but... Obviously, nowhere near good enough, and uh, I've had to talk about football rather than play football. But yeah, that was just my sort of early memories. Just you know, being inspired by the goalkeepers and, and going to games in Edinburgh, um, mainly Easter Road, and you know, um, and and it's just funny, you know, the things that you go back now. How stadiums have changed so much back then. You know, Easter yeah. Road and Tynecastle are effectively totally different stadiums to the ones I first went to. It's, the only difference is that they're. They're on the same site, but they, they are totally different. Um, but I, I would like to think they still both retain their, um, you know, the, the niceness about it, the, the fact that you go to a residential area where, a built-up area rather, and it's still, the stadiums are still exactly in the heartlands of, of the community where the, the clubs play rather than, you know, on the, on the outskirts. So, yeah, that, that's, that's my sort of early memories. So you, you, you're mentioning a wee bit about uh, goalkeeping there, I take it you, you played sort of the boys' club level maybe in goals? I wish. Um, no, not not that good enough. I played for the school, that was about it, primary school. Um, you know, I, I think I'm a better goalkeeper now. I was, you know, wasn't the best back then, but uh, yeah, it was always Jim Layton and Andy Gorham. They were the ones for me playing for Scotland. Um, when I first started kind of getting into football, it was, it was Andy Gorham playing at Rangers, player of the year in 93, great uh, player. And then Jim Layton joined Hibs and sort of turned around his career after it looked like it was nowhere after his time at Manchester United and Dundee. And he was just fantastic, helped us get to Euro 96. And then Andy Gorham played at Euro 96. He was excellent. And then Layton played the majority of the games on the way to the 98 World Cup. And there was a game against Sweden in 96. If anyone wants to know how good Jim Layton was, Google that and watch some of the highlights of the second half because he was just immense that day and that inspires me um, and at 35 I still try and chuck myself around although it's broke my finger so I won't be back in goal anything soon. So um, when, it, when it came to kind of deciding your career and things throughout school was it always we always sort of looking towards um, journalism or, or stuff like that I, I believe you did um, social sciences I think it was at Edinburgh Napier. Yeah, I, I went to Napier. It wasn't sort of the forefront. You know, I always loved watching the football. I was kind of, you know, love watching um, sports scene on the BBC on a Saturday night, which is finally coming back on a, a Saturday night on a regular basis this season. Um, and watching Sky when they used to have Scottish football at five past six on a Sunday night um, uh, every week. And that just sort of, it did inspire me in that respect in terms of I loved watching the coverage of both channels. But it wasn't, you know, I, I didn't have that sort of idea of a career, you know, I, I did social sciences at, at uni and I realised it wasn't for me and I kind of got to a bit of a crossroads and I then went into banking and worked in, in retail banking, which, um, 
you know, at the time I was told it was a safe job, but then I think when the, the credit crunch came in the late 2008-9, then, you know, it certainly wasn't a safe job after that. But, yeah, so that, that kind of put me at crossroads. When I started working in a bank, I thought, safe job, nine till five, and I was just bored, hated it, didn't like it, wanted something else, and I... Uh, started to to speak to my local club, who we were Hibs, the the ones that nearest uh, closest to me, to to work on their um, club channel. And every club's got a channel now, but back in at the time, it was really only Rangers and Celtic, and Hibs were one of the first to start doing their own sort of TV channel, you would call it. Yeah. Um, and then Dundee United followed, and and then every club all, all of a sudden did that. But Hibs did it themselves and um, started it up, and it was a great chance uh, to, to get into it. So. As I say, I worked in a bank. I did a lot of reserve games, uh, Hibs reserve games. Then I started to do some first team games and basically lived for the weekend so I could go and go to football and go and do the games and whatnot. And then you build up contacts, you learn how it all works. Uh, but as I say, yeah, I worked in banking. Totally different. Totally not not what I would advise uh, in terms of a route to get into to journalism now and, and doing what I, I do, certainly. But... Uh, I, I'm still very proud of the route I took, and uh, you know, and it was one of those ones. And that was a, the way I decided to go. But um, yeah, but it, it was different. It certainly was different. And um, yeah, I, I remember once at careers uh, advisor saying to the careers advisor at school, "I'd love to be the guy on the tele commentating or you know presenting the football." And they sort of laughed, you know, but. Yeah, you know, I wonder. You know, don't never think that something isn't attainable. You know, um, that that's what I would say because there certainly is a chance. So did that? Did you feel that sort of role kind of give you a good grounding for going forward? Obviously, you then went on to I think it was Talk One Hundred Seven and Real Radio. So did you feel obviously yeah. you're doing banking, but that 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 at the weekend obviously gave you a good grounding for for what you do now. Yeah, it, it, one thing it did, it gave you a drive to get out of the bank. It gave you something that you want to do well here. You know, I volunteered for him. I paid for four years, you know, and you wanted to do just, it was for the love of it, for getting involved, for getting experience. And about two years into doing stuff for Hibs, I started getting stuff on the radio with Top 107, who people will be aware of Talk Sport. It was the... The, the, they had an Edinburgh talk station, not just sport, but it was all different things. Um, and I got in there, and, and it was great because there was hardly any listeners. You could make a lot of your mistakes there. You could build, build a valuable experience. Uh, and as much as you know, it didn't have that many listeners, it had a lot of experienced broadcasters and journalists on there and people that you could learn from, look up to, ask advice uh, and it was a great grounding. And then I did a bit for Real Radio and also uh, Radio Forth in Edinburgh, uh, covering games. So, yeah, I mean, I love radio as a medium. I really like listening to the radio. And uh, I miss it in a way. I, w I wouldn't want to uh, get up television, but I, I do miss radio in that respect. It was really, really good to work on. So were you kind of then learning on the job? Obviously, you get, for example, people like me, you now, you now have you know, journalism courses, things like that, three or four years. Did you feel you were kind of learning on the job and was that sort of difficult for you? Yeah, learning on the job, yeah. It was it difficult to a point, but, you know, I think you were just going home with it, you know, sort of riding the crest of the wave. I, when I started doing stuff at Hibs, what, what, one thing I got to do was go to a lot of games, commentate on them, report on them, um, build up contacts, work out how a press conference works, works out, work out the sort of etiquette because there's sort of unwritten rules when you do things at press conferences. Yeah. Um, slightly different now, but um, and club TV at the time, um, you know, people were quite suspicious of it because it wasn't the norm. It sort of um, the rules really, you know, it kind of the, the the normal traditional broadcasters and the newspapers weren't used to it. They were a bit suspicious of it, so. Yeah, it was it was different, and you did have to learn. But again, you could make your mistakes. You could build up experience, and actually, yeah, I didn't have a bit of paper that said I have passed with this mark. But what I did have is, you know, before I went to the Sky, had four years um, of experience on radio, commercial radio, and obviously club TV as well. So, you know, that experience um, was so 
valuable. And I know one courses the they make sure that the people in, you know, aspiring journalists get experience, but doing it every week and doing it the way I did it, you know, there was certainly a drive there and also it just made sure that you had to work hard if you wanted to get anywhere. And yeah, maybe I had to work hard because I didn't have the qualifications in that respect. But, you know, I would like to, to think that I knew my football, um, you know, and I could learn, you know, I was quite quick at learning things. So, you know, you just sometimes have to be in the right place at the right time. So just sort of on the commentary and, you know, the, the radio side of things, did you always sort of find that straightforward or did you kind of have to work initially on your, maybe, maybe your voice and your pitch? I don't know if everyone's yeah. got a radio voice. Yeah, I think uh, voice and pitch. I actually went to a voice coach when I joined Sky. Uh, I never thought it was that much of an issue when I was working on the radio or um, certainly doing the commentary on club TV. Um, so yeah, I, I think probably noticed it more that I needed to work on things, uh, you know, the, the further up I got, but back then no, I kind of was quite, a, I don't want to be a, have a big head. I, I find it quite natural, uh, you know, doing commentary, you know, being passionate and um, doing my research, you know, cause I did a lot of reserve games to start with and you were leave, trying to leave your work early and race down to, a stadium to do a commentary and you had to put your research in because you didn't have a clue about any of these players and the more games you did, the more you saw these young youngsters and uh, some of the experienced players playing in the reserves. So you had to put in your research. So I, I actually found that a challenge. So I quite enjoyed it. So I, I would never be nervous going in because I knew I'd always done my research. I'd be nervous just about the broadcast itself and trying to be smooth and make sure that you got that side of things right. When the actual game kicked off, I always felt quite in control because I made sure I put my research in. I could have just turned up and just called names, but I didn't want to do that. And it was more of a, a sort of radio commentary. So you have to talk quite a lot and fill a lot of airtime. You know, you can't leave a lot of dead air. So again, I found that quite a, a good challenge. I quite enjoyed that. So it was four years overall, I believe, in radio. Um, seemed to obviously absolutely love your time there. How would you sort of sum all of that up before obviously leaving to go on to television? Yeah, I, I smile because when I think back, and it's actually getting further and further, it was you know so long ago now, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I don't think, you know, I mean, when, when you look at Top 107, I was made redundant two days before Christmas, um, having just left a full-time job in the bank to take this job four months before that. So yeah, it's a bit of a roller coaster, and it was tough at times. And you just had to get on with it. You just had to then, you know, try and get some work somewhere, you know, freelance work, and you know, it was difficult at times. So yeah, but those challenges, looking back now, probably stood me in good stead in that respect. So, yeah, it, it was really good, really enjoyable. Certainly the top one of seven times, just dealing with, with some of the guys uh, that I, I dealt with there. Uh, Mark Donaldson and Mark McKenzie, really big uh, helpers to me. Mark Donaldson is now out working for ESPN in America. Um, he was very, very helpful and a, good, a very big supporter of me. So he helped push me and gave me advice. And, and Mark McKenzie was a producer there that helped me quite a lot. But there were other people that, that worked there that kind of looked up to because they had done things in broadcasting, like Dominic Diamond, who um, presented a show called Games, Masters, uh, Games Master in, uh, on Channel 4 back in the 90s. You're too young, you'll need to Google that. Um, yeah. But that, uh, you know, and he was somebody, he's out in Canada now. And he was a great broadcaster, you know, some per, you know, a real personality. So yeah, it was it was good times, and um, you know, I felt you know, looking back now, it certainly held me in good stead. There's no doubt about that. So uh, then it's on to Sky Sports, obviously a massive uh, name in sports television, Premier League coverage, and things like that. How did that gig sort of come about? Well, just when I had a bit of bad luck six months before by being made redundant at Top 107 when the station shut down before Christmas, it was a bit of good luck. Um, and maybe other people's misfortune, I have to say, I have to be honest about that. Um, when Satanta went bust, uh, and uh, you know they, they were broadcasters of the Premier League in England and the, the then SPL, as it was called, uh, in Scotland, and they were unable to pay their bills. They went into liquidation. A lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of good people um, in the industry lost their jobs. But it meant that Sky 
and ESPN came in and, and backed the league to, to help them uh, when they were really in a time of need. And, and the two companies came in there. And it was just through a, a bit of luck that I'd, uh, I'd got to know some of the guys at Sky just having been at games and just chatting about certain things. And when the, the Sky uh, got the contract back, I just thought I'll send a, off a speculative email uh, to some of the guys, David Tanner, Charles Patterson, whatnot, and said, listen, um, you know, I'm available. I know you've got the rights back. You might be doing Soccer Saturday. You might be able to do Scottish games now that you've got the rights. I'm here, you know, I've got a microphone, I'm willing to travel. Because um, basically Soccer Saturday, if you're not in vision, it's radio on the television. And I'd been doing a lot of radio. So, you know, you know, if, if you want to get in touch, please, please do. And Mark Donaldson, who I mentioned, had been doing a lot for Sky Freelance-wise uh, the previous season after he had been made redundant as well, a top one or seven. So that probably helped. I got a phone call out of the blue one afternoon from David Tanner. He said, can you get the Airdrie's ground um, in the next couple of hours to do Motherwell against Flamer Tarry in the Europa League uh, qualifier or first round or first qualifying round? Uh, and the games were being played at Airdrie. Can you get there? Never say no. Put it like that. That's one bit of advice. Don't say no, I can't do it. Or, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going out tonight. Just say mm-hmm. yes. So I didn't know how I was going to get there, get all the equipment, do whatever. Yes was the answer. I got there and the scoreline was Motherwell 8, Flamurtari 1, uh, the Albanian team. So I was on nine times, my very first game for Sky. I was never off the telly that night. You know, it was a, quite a big story and the you know, rest, as he says, history. So I, I talk about a bit of luck there, you know. Thanks to Jamie Murphy at the time getting a hat-trick and... You know, the guys there absolutely going for it because it certainly helped me. There's no doubt about that. I think Paul Slane scored that night as well. I'm sure that's quite he a... He did, yes. Absolutely, did. Yep. Yeah, the youngest yep, scorer, I believe. So, um, yep, good knowledge. Yeah, he did score. And, uh, you know, as I say, it was uh, it was great for me. You know, it's just, oh, another goal at Airdrie, another goal at Airdrie. Quick, Luke Shanley, what's the update sort of thing. So, you know, and then after that, it was a case of, uh, right, we like you. Uh, there's Kilmarnock are playing Burnley uh, next week. Can you do that? So that was my next game. Went and did Kilmarnock Burnley, and I was told that Sky were doing a favour for TV Two in Norway. Um, Burnley had a guy who had played for Dundee United playing uh, left back called Christian Calvinez. So I had to ask him questions, and he had to reply in uh, Norwegian so we could send it over to TV Two in Norway. So it was kind of surreal. Uh, right. Second game, and you're kind of doing a sort of multilingual. Uh, uh, interview um don't know what he was saying he could have been calling me everything or anything but anyway he was a good sport and he did it and um, you know that was just me and at sky after that it was just the case of that season 2009-10 um didn't do a lot during the week on sky sports news or anything like that it was every saturday soccer saturday jeff and the boys again living for the weekend here you go it's a good gig and i got to do a lot of uh, what was then the spl spl games and um, so lower games but just getting to do games, getting to see a lot of different teams, which is brilliant, um, and getting a lot of you know, getting a lot of good airtime as well, um, and, and building up the profile, building up the experience. You know, it's a high-profile show, so you sort of get noticed from from that, which helped. And then um, you know, the kind of by the end of that season, I was doing some Sky Sports news shifts as a freelancer. So, what's the sort of progression like then? You mentioned in the Soccer Saturday days and things like that. What's the progression then from just kind of coming on every now and then when, when your game's on to, you know, the, the role you've now got, sort of trackside reporter? Yeah, well, something about Soccer Saturday and, and the advice I was given, it was good advice, is less is more. There's so many different games, it's not just about your game, you can't be selfish. You know, if you're coming on to update a goal, we don't want to know about what the goalie had for his tee and when he kicked it out. Just want the main point, short, sharp, punchy, as I say, less is more. Maybe different if you're on the radio and you're doing a game or a different show like that, but certainly that was the advice I was given. If you're on longer than 15 seconds, you've probably been, you know, not done it right. For the Soccer Saturday element, maybe if it's, you know, during the week and it's a different show, then that's fair enough. But, um, you know, that was great advice. And again, you learn with that experience and they know that they can come to you. They can trust you. You won't take up too much time. You'll get the goal out and you'll carry on. But thereafter, for me, I, I did a season doing just Soccer Saturday, really. Then started getting stuff at Sports News. 
um, you know, a couple of press conferences, and then by the start of 2010-11, uh, my friend Mark Donaldson left to take up his new adventure at ESPN. And he did a lot of freelance stuff, so they said, "Look, you know, you're here. Do you want to do you want to start doing that?" And um, David Tanner had moved on to present the live game, so it was basically Charles Patterson and myself, and it was just on you go, and we just then you know covering the press conferences every week. Um, doing all the features back then, they did a lot of packages and um, you know diff- different things. The form, you know, there wasn't as much social media back then, so it was it's kind of different the format of the channel. But you know, I really loved it. It was great, um, and you realised how much you actually did and how much you crammed in. And then after that, it was the start of the 2012-13 season. Uh, I got the trackside gig for the live games, which I'm still doing, and it's yeah. I just think it's the best job in the world. I absolutely love it. So initially you were, of course, freelance, obviously got its pros and cons. And was that something you kind of found difficult or was it, was it manageable? Obviously, you, you know, you, you, you yourself, you'll know the pros and cons of it. It's not obviously a guaranteed job, but maybe, maybe you could get more done. Yeah, I think, um, you know, certainly initially when I started doing stuff for Sky, I was still doing bits and pieces for Real Radio and Radio 4 and whatnot and, um, you know, a couple other sort of things, writing articles and whatnot. Um, but one one bit of advice again about being freelance is don't knock any work back. You know, if yeah. the phone keeps ringing, that's the best feedback. It means you're doing something right. It means they want to use you. Just keep saying yes because you don't know, you know, what's going to happen. And um, I really enjoyed freelance, I have to say, but I, I think the thing is that I got a lot of work, so obviously I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, it can be tiring because, again, you feel that you can't say no sometimes. And I tried to work it, factor in a, a day off. Uh, every week but um, that wasn't always the case sometimes you were working you know 14 15 days straight just because you know you want to keep the work you want to keep the experience you want to keep the profile you want to keep your own momentum going can be tiring uh, but if the work's good then it, you know freelance I think is very good You've, you can keep your options open you can work for different companies um, it can be good but gradually, and maybe not so much gradually, quite quickly, I very much all my concentration was on Sky and only wanted to work for Sky. I loved working for Sky, so there was no need to go anywhere else uh, for work because Sky were the Premier and still are, you know, they're the home of the Scottish Premiership this coming season now solely. So I really enjoyed what I was doing and, and I had the backing. So, But it is difficult, and I think the freelance market is much more difficult now uh, for guys just starting, it's maybe okay if you're at a higher level and you're able to to work at working for other companies. But I think it is very difficult uh, in the sense that there's maybe not the work to go around. Um, there's not a lot of security. At least when I was at Sky, I got regular work, so there was a kind of security there. Um, and you know, you have to do. You know, when you're freelance, you have to do things like your own tax returns and bits and pieces and. You know, you've got all that extra work to do, etc. You know, you don't have the benefits of working for a company. But, you know, it has its plus sides as well. But again, you probably need to be getting the work. And I think now for a lot of aspiring journalists, I think the industry is particularly tough at the minute. Um, and, yeah. and that is the difficult doubt. Again, I was lucky. I maybe timed my run well in terms of being a freelancer. But, you know, it is tough. And, and I'm, you know, I'm lucky enough to be staffed. And I've been staffed for nearly five years. So... You know, that's great, and that's a security as well, But um, and I never take that for granted, but I think, you know, freelance is a tough market just now. So you mentioned Sky obviously getting the rights for this year um, for the for the Premiership. Do you feel, um, you know, I, th- I thought personally BT were, were doing a good job. I think Sky also do do a good job, of course. But do you think sort of BT were kind of pushing Sky in a way? Like Sky had to sort of up the coverage and things? Yeah, I think rivalry is great. And, you know, we know all the guys at, at BT. I used to always laugh because, uh, you know, people would say, oh, they've got better camera angles, they've got better this, that, and other. And actually, a lot of the people in, that work in the satellite trucks and a lot of the cameramen, they all do the two companies, you know. So a lot of people that do the replays, the cameras, it's all the same people. So it was just you know, a lot of nonsense. But no, I think, you know, they, they certainly freshened up, you know, their coverage and they, they changed it. I think when you look at right at the start from, from what they did to the end, they had changed themselves and, and reinvented themselves. So, yeah, and I think, you know, it was up to Sky to, to obviously then, you know, up your game. You need you always need a bit of competition. I think that helps. And, um, you know, I think 
I think Sky probably there's a perception there that they don't care or they don't do this, that, and the other. You know, I'm out doing a Scottish football story every single day that I'm working for Sky Sports News. Every day, you know. Um, and then I do a game at the weekend and, you know, Sky pay a lot of money for the, the rights uh, by, and by Scottish standards. And as I say, they're doing a Scottish football story somewhere on their platforms every day, be it their Twitter, their on demand. So I always thought we kind of got a bit of an unfair, um, an unfair kind of representation because, as I say, we you know we weren't just doing a game and maybe you know once or twice a week we were doing something every day. But again, perception and Twitter, you don't always get um, you know a, a fair crack at. I was going to ask you a wee bit about that because sometimes. As, as you're talking about social media and stuff's huge now, you, you sometimes get people saying the old or they've used the wrong badge and stuff, or you know they're just showing the old firm. Maybe they don't care. Um, does that sort of? I don't, I don't know if that that will ref, like reflect badly on yourself personally. If if that would annoy you personally, I take any mistake personally. So if it's me or if it's somebody else in the company, I, I get really annoyed. And you know, I could give you multiple examples of many different you know i'll sit and watch sky sports news or the bbc or even bt and go oh they've got that wrong or oh and it's not that luke shanley is perfect it's just something that you know it flashes up just with your knowledge so i've noticed that over you know i think the thing is what well, one thing is when you're working in live television mistakes can happen uh, uh-huh. there's no doubt about that if it's something like badges I, I don't think that's good enough and and you know i think you know that's unforgivable in that respect so you know and that's something that Certainly, I feedback, you know, and, and I would expect if I made a mistake, I would get that feedback as well. Uh, in terms of only showing, you know, the old firm, I get really annoyed about this. Uh, I, I do have a bee in my bonnet about it because last season, Sky showed 19 Scottish Premiership games and we showed five what you would call non-old firm games. Now, people can argue whether that's enough or not. I think BT did 21 games and showed five non-old firm games. So, again, it's the perception, you know. You yeah. go back to 2017-18, we did nine non-old firm games that season. BT did 11. Not actually much between us. And for, for a company that gets, you know, the sort of reputa- reputation of only doing, you know, the old firm, then the actual stats don't, you know. I mean, I could give you a list of things at many other clubs. You know, for example, last week I was at Hibs, Livingston, Dundee United. I was at Hibs again yesterday. You know, we've got plans to go to all the clubs before the start of the season. Um, you know, we've got uh, six non-old firm games on in August alone. So, you know, mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah, I think, I just think sometimes it's the perception. Um, uh, and it's not just what goes out on the telly. There's other avenues, other platforms. So, yeah, uh, to answer your question, yeah, it does annoy me when it's wrong. If it's absolutely fair and uh, justified in terms of criticism, I'll take it, no problem at all. It's just when it's, um, you know, people are just wanting to chuck something at you without doing the research, that's when it annoys me. No, it's really interesting to hear that, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, just sort of sort of moving on, obviously, I am, I'm really looking forward to the coverage at Sky. You mentioned there with the, the rights and stuff now, that, that you're obviously going to be busy. The season starts, I think it's you know, 10 days or so now. So, you know, are, are you personally looking forward to it? I can't wait. I absolutely can't wait. Um, you know, just not being uh, the last game I was at. Um, you know, last proper you know competitive match was St Mirren one Hearts. Now the last game played in the Scottish Premiership in March, and you know I didn't think that night that you know it would be so long without being at football. I don't think since that kind of ninety one ninety two season where I really got the bug for football that I've missed, you know, I've ever not been at a football game for this long. So you start to appreciate it a lot more. And because we've got so many games, then, you know, it is exciting. It is really exciting. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be disappointing not to have the, the crowd in, but that's totally understandable. And, you know, it's just about how, uh, how best we, we get the stuff over. You know, we've been doing some features already, some build-up uh, stuff, so that's good, and that's going to really start to escalate next week. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. I'm really, really excited. I'm looking forward to, to the season. Could be a massive season in terms of Celtic winning 10 in a row. Rangers will be wanting to stop that, and, you know, looking at it on paper, they're probably the only club that have the chance of doing that. Um, so, you know, that would be historic if they were able to do it. You know, and there's so many other battles. So, yeah, really, really looking forward to the season ahead. So just sort of touching on your role now, um, players and managers will sort of need to be on board when you obviously you're doing your reporting and things, um, obviously to, to make your interviews and sort of content work. 
you'll also need the clubs, obviously, to give you some, some good access and things. Do you find that always straightforward or, or do you ever have any difficulties? No, there's difficulties. I think when uh, when the deals are done to you know broadcast the games, it's always called a partnership. And I think some clubs need to sometimes better understand that it is a partnership. You know, it works both ways. Um I think you know this season we're going to we're going to see some different things because the rights are stronger. You know the the rights are, are, are um, you know more in line with what you get in England now. Um, so that that's good and that's exciting. We're going to have things like player interviews in the tunnel before the match, things like that, and that's going to become more more a regular feature. So that that's really good. Um, and yeah, you know I think. For example, you, to to help sell the game, what, what comes first? Is it Sky that need to do more to sell it, or do the clubs need to provide more access, and not just more access, better access, better pictures, and better features to help sell the game? You know, and that that's the question. I always think it's the latter rather than the former. Um, you know, if if clubs are more willing to get on board and want to give the access, not just an interview in an indoor hall or something, but if they want to do something that looks really good and they can't do it all the time, then, you know, we've got a chance of selling the game. You'll have people watching Sky Sports News, for example. Yeah. If they look at a manager, you know, you, you might watch and say, oh, who's that guy standing inside that pitch talking, you know, you're not bothered. But if you see something that looks a bit different, you're going to turn your head and actually watch it and it might, oh, right, I'll watch that. Well, what time's that kick off? I'm going to watch that game, you know. So, yeah, I think, Clubs, you know, I think a lot of the clubs are on board. I think a lot of clubs do want to help you ultimately. But of course, you look at it from a club's point of view, they might have something going on. There might be a disciplinary issue or some sort of issue that they don't want to be as open as, as they might normally be. So it is difficult. It is a difficult balance because sometimes the football gets in the way. So, But uh, yeah, I, you do have to build relationships. It's really, really key. And I would like to think that, you know, we're in a good place at the minute with a lot of the clubs. So again, just sort of touching on, for example, you you on a daily basis, for example, if you if you've got a game that night or that day, how do you sort of prepare and then well so what what is your kind of daily routine, you know, in terms of getting the interviews maybe pre match and post match, how are you putting together those questions? Obviously it's got to depend on what's happened and things. How would you sort of sum all of that up? Yeah, I think before a live game, I like to um, I like to try and do, do as much research as possible. Sky have a stats department, so they provide you a big kind of stats pack for every game. But I always like to do some of my own stuff anyway. Certainly for you know, I mentioned that I've been at a lot of Edinburgh derbies. If you've got an Edinburgh derby, you'll find that I kind of do my own stuff pack in, in a way and uh, kind of bore people with my kind of sad stats. But uh, so you know, it's good to know. You know, the stat pack can kind of set the tone or you, you could email the stats guys and say, oh, listen, how many times have this team lost goals in the last 10 minutes? Because that might be something that you might want to ask the manager and you've got the stats to hand then to, to back up that if they kind of push back against that in an interview. But yeah, pre-match interviews, you know, generally the managers are going to tell you what they want to tell you. They're not going to give away some massive secret. And your team news is quite key, so you can't really plan questions until you, you kind of know the team news and there might be something significant there but yeah. also what's riding on the game you know maybe something's happened previously in that fixture or the managers have had a spat in the newspapers going back and forward with comment it, it just something that might set the tone so you have to just kind of be prepared you need to know what's going on round about you need to know if maybe a player's struggling with injury and you might want to ask the manager that more often than not, you get maybe three, sometimes four questions before a match to ask a manager. It's not something that can be massively in-depth. And again, they're going to tell you what they want. I always feel it's more the post-match is the one that, that's the interesting one because you're dealing with raw emotion from the, the managers and the players, uh -huh. uh, you know, and you're the one that's going to get the brunt of it if they're not happy. But, you know, you have to react to what's happened in the game. Simple as that. You know, you have to get the best reaction from them about what's actually happened. So obviously, done done plenty of interviews in your time. Have you got maybe a, a favourite one or? Well, you know, I, I've been quite lucky at times where you know, predominantly, you know, as much as we do the other clubs, you you do a lot of Celtic and Rangers, and you know, you've got somebody like Neil Lennon who will will answer a question. You know, he won't shirk it. He might not be happy with the question, 
but he will give you an answer. You know, he won't try and um, you know avoid it or talk too long so that um, you kind of lose the will to live and he actually tells you nothing. He's not like yeah. that. He he will be you know he will call a spade a spade. So I've been lucky in that respect. That Neil has been at Celtic, Hibs, and then back at Celtic again. So we've dealt with him quite a lot. Ali McCoyst was always quite good when he was Rangers manager in that respect. He had a lot to deal with. Not all the time, but because there was a lot of pressures there. But, you know, most of the time. Uh, Stephen Gerrard's very good just now. He, he sometimes likes to put you off a wee bit by giving one-word answers and you have to be ready for him. But more often than not, you know, he's quite honest. I think he was very honest last season at times, um, you know, when it started getting difficult. And uh, I recall an interview at Tynecastle Park after they lost the Hearts in the league where, where he was you know, very candid about his feelings on his players, you know, and you, you absolutely respect that. You really respect that. Sometimes it's managers that try and avoid the question or not necessarily avoid it, try and put some sort of spin on it that makes it a wee bit more difficult. So in terms of memorable interviews, I don't know. I mean, I think I'm just trying to think here anything that springs to mind, you know, not really in that respect. I just, you know, I enjoy managers that are going to be honest and uh, not necessarily make it easy for you, but are quite willing to to be blunt when they need to be. So you mentioned obviously some some good people to deal with. There is there any? Obviously not not trying to be too negative or anything. But has there been any sort of disagreements, maybe, or you know, people shirking a question, or sort of any hiccups you've had yourself, maybe mistakes or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, I've had mistakes, yeah, you might, you know, everyone makes mistakes and there might be times where I've maybe asked a question in the wrong way in in the respect that, um, you know, you've tried to be, maybe put a bit of humour into a situation that there shouldn't have been that, you try to be a bit of a a smart arse and it's not worked. I remember one time with Brendan Rodgers that that happened and he kind of didn't take to my humour. That's absolutely fine. It was a great learning experience for me because you think that, up to that stage, I think I did the job for four years and I thought, you know, you think, ah, you're confident and cocky and it sometimes goes back in your face, you know, and absolutely. And we spoke about it afterwards and I said, well, Brendan, I didn't mean it like that. This is what I meant. And he said, oh, fair enough. But, you know, I just felt I needed to back one of my players. So it was after an old firm game as well where emotions are high. So yeah. you know, that was a learning experience for me. You've got a custard pie. There's times where managers don't want to answer a question and you push them and they're not happy. But again, that's part of the job. You know, somebody always said, how did you deal with Gordon Strachan, who could be uh-huh. quite awkward with people? And I, I found Gordon great. I, I got on with him really well. Not that I wouldn't ask him the right question, but, you know, I always found him, you know, I think if you were fair with Gordon, he would be fair with you. If you, you know, if you went, if you're trying to be greedy to get some groundbreaking line, then he was going to give you nothing. Um, and you would get a custard pie in your face. But if you were willing to, you know, absolutely be up front and talk about it. I, I always felt I got more out of Gordon. And uh, he, he said that in an after-dinner speech, somebody informed me once. He said, yeah, and he, he named a few people. I was one of them that always got more out of him because there was a, a greater respect, a greater mutual respect there. Um, and actually, I have to say, when he left the Scotland job, I quite missed him because previously I would always get a bit nervous in the sense that, Gordon, you would never know what's going to come, you know, from Gordon. Yeah. He was always he kept you on your toes, in my opinion, in a good way. It made me make sure I'd done my research and whatnot. Um, and when that sort of nervous energy left, when he left, it, you know, you kind of got I kind of missed the sort of the duel, the sparring, you know, and uh, so that is something I actually quite enjoyed. I actually quite enjoyed that. So um, not everyone did, and I, I know that other people have. Uh, kind of felt the brunt, but I have to say only once or twice did I ever, uh, you know, ever get Gordon. I had uh, Rob McLean on, he said sort of the same thing about Strachan. He's obviously come out with some crackers in the past. Um, yeah, he's um, yeah, he's certainly one that, as I say, you need to be on your toes. There's uh, there's a lot of time where, you know, he's, he's very witty, very quick, you know, and uh, if, if you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. So you always have to be very, very careful um, with, with how you you worded something um, because you know uh, you would get you would get a custard pie put like that. So you've probably interviewed you know a, a lot of big names. The, the names you're mentioning there. Do you ever get any? You know, do you ever get starstruck or anything? Uh, I think at the start you kind of did. You know, you kind of at the start. Um, 
I think I interviewed Kenny Dalglish on Sky Sports News, and he's like, it's Kenny Dalglish, it's probably one of the greatest Scotland players ever, and um, you kind of get starstruck in that respect, but, you know, you soon realise that, you know, you're there to do a job, and, you know, they're probably not wanting to give you the answers that you want, so, you know, very much becomes it's a job. You know, Stephen Gerrard's won the European Cup, and, you know, he's had a glittering career for Liverpool, but at the end of the day, Stephen Gerrard, the Rangers manager, talking to me ahead of a game that we're about to show live or maybe we're about to report on or after that game, you know, you can't think of it like that. You know, you can't think of, you know, who the person is like that, you know. I mean, I, I remember interviewing Andy Robertson, you know, in his early Dundee United days. I remember watching him playing for uh, Queen's Park, you know, and um, I saw him score at Hamden for Queen's Park as well. Uh and, you know, now you see him and you interview him as Scotland captain, you know, I'd like to think that he's still the same sort of guy. Obviously, he's much, much more professional and given the club he's playing for. Um, but, you know, it's, it's Andy Robertson. It's the wee guy I watched scoring against Elgin in December 2012, you know, and he's still a nice guy. He's still good to deal with, very amenable, but, you know, very professional as well. And he'll give you the answers he wants to give you. And, you know, you'll try and push him with the questions you want to ask. So... Yeah, you you kind of can't be anyone's friend in that respect. You know, you're not there to be players' pals or managers' pals. I don't think they want to be your pal anyway. So, you know, you just have to kind of it's a job and be professional. There's one I remember. I think I think it was you. Hopefully, it was you. Did with um, Robertson. I think it was Gold, maybe, and ra- um, around their flat, maybe John Souter. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, those three. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah, that's one of the best shoots I did. You know, I'd been trying to do it for so long, and because they had, um, you know, they, they were good players at Dundee United, and you kind of got a feeling that that team was going to break up, which it did. Um, and it was maybe the only chance to get them to do it back then. So uh, we did, and it, you know, it just showed. What, what I liked about that shoot is it showed what the guys were like away from a, a football stadium or a training ground, and it showed a bit of personality. I thought it promoted the game really well, and it was a really nice feature of which we got a lot of good, you know, news lines out of it, or the, maybe not news lines, but in terms of featurey lines about where they saw themselves in their career. And there was a lot of trust from Dundee United to allow us to go and, and do something like that, and we're always very grateful uh, to them for that. You know, and it'd be interesting probably to look back at that feature now to see what the guys said and what's actually how it's transpired in their career, but. Did I think back then that, you know, you in that flat there would have been a European Cup winner? Absolutely not. So, you know, I've total credit to Andy Robertson for that. But, yeah, sometimes it's, you know, it's good. And a lot of the good Scottish talent, you know, kind of leaves Scotland early now. So, yeah. you know, it's good to try and do those features to promote the fact that, you know, they're here just now and they're, they're good young talent, you know. We used to interview Virgil van Dijk quite regularly back then. You look what he's gone on to do. So, you know, uh, yeah, that is that was one of my one of my favourite pieces certainly that I did for Sky Sports. It's good to see players sort of with a personality and things as well, just away from football. Yeah, a lot of them. You know, I think some clubs, you know, understandably, you know, it's not a criticism. You know, they don't want you the players to give you anything. You know, they don't want don't you know, kind of drop your guard sort of thing. Um, you know, it's the big bad journalists. But, you know, I think some of them, if they've got a trust for you, then, you know, you're going to get more out of them. They're going to be more willing to do stuff. You know, they're going to be open to, to helping you out. And, you know, I would like to think that players and their agents would see a benefit of going on somewhere like Sky, which is certainly Sky Sports News, which has got a massive profile in terms of sports fans. You know, it's about selling yourself sometimes as well. Now, maybe the clubs don't want that, but, you know, I think uh, players that are certainly amenable will get, you know, certainly, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, I think they will find, feel the benefit, you know, later in their career. So um, just to kind of begin to wrap up now, obviously, I'm just going to ask kind of about, you know, your ambitions for the future. We touched on it a wee bit earlier, but, you know, the new season starting... Sky have now got the rights. You might, I mean, you sound absolutely buzzing for that. Is it just to, you know, kind of keep doing what you're doing with Sky and see what happens there? You know, I'm very lucky. I mean, I sit and think about it. I know I'm very lucky to say that I'm exactly where I want to be doing the exact job that I want to do. And not many people can say that. So I'm eternally grateful to Sky and the people that put their faith in me doing that. 
I love Scottish football. I absolutely love it. I don't want to go and work in English football. You know, I love Scottish football. If I was, you know, when I'm not doing a game and I'm not working at a game, I'm at a game. Um, you know, yeah. so I, I 100% love Scottish football and that's what I want to do. Um, and I love doing the trackside report. And I, I look at the presenters and I don't envy people like Ailey or Haley who've presented our coverage that, you know, the, it's a real, real tough gig. I don't think people appreciate, certainly even when I'm doing my interviews, that I've got somebody in my ear the whole time I'm doing an interview. So in one ear, I'm listening to what's going on in the truck, how much time I've got left. I'm hearing the program, some of the analysis that's going on. Well, I'm doing an interview on my other ear, trying to listen to what the, this manager or player is saying and then reacting to that. That's hard enough. But the presenter has to take on so much more. So fair play to them, you know. Uh, so that's not for me. And in terms of commentary, I absolutely love Ian Crocker. I think he's great and, and he loves it. He loves Scottish football. So, you know, I, I'm very much happy in the trackside role. Uh, really, really like it. Yeah, the managers are going to have to put up with my ugly face for a wee bit longer, hopefully. Um, it's a five-year deal. Whether I'm still trackside in five years' time, I don't know. But, um, you know, it gets a bit cold in December. You know, I might need to get a blanket out now, but I'm not getting any younger. But I absolutely love it. And I love just being, obviously, at the minute, it's going to be a bit different with, uh, you know, all the, the safety procedures, uh, rightly so, that are in place. But I just love being in amongst the tunnel, you know, and, and seeing what's going on and talking to the, the players and the managers after the game and getting their reaction. Um, not always happy reactions, but getting their reaction and it just being involved in Scottish football. I absolutely love it. And so to be involved in the game you love, to get to go away and cover Scotland. And I'm, I'm still a member of the, the Scotland Supporters Club. I still pay my money every year. You know, if I wasn't working at it, I would be saving up my pennies to go and try and go and watch Scotland and... Uh, yeah and some place, you know, some qualifier. So, again, I'm really privileged to get to go and watch Scotland and cover Scotland too. Um, you know, not always get the, the results you want, but, you know, and the good thing about when you cover Scotland is you do actually, you are allowed to drop your guard. You are allowed, allowed to kind of be a fan in a way. Yeah. Um, you do have to be professional, but, you know, the tartan scarf's very much on. So, uh, just finally, I always like to, to end by sort of asking guests, based on the name of the podcast, The Full-Time Whistle, you obviously you've got a long way to go, of course, in your career. But sort of when that comes to an end, when the when the full time whistle sort of signals the end to your career, how do you kind of how do you kind of look back on everything? You know, are you proud of your achievements and kind of how how do you want to be remembered? Yeah, well, I'm 35 just now. I like you know I look at some of the guys still working, you know, and they're in their 70s. So it's you know that's like kind of half a lifetime for me. So <laughs> hopefully it can span as long as that if people are willing to put up with my annoying voice and ugly face but uh, you know I just look back to what I've done so far you know um, uh, you know I love the Scottish Cup and I was able to do trackside reporting at one cup final which was at Celtic Park St Johnson Dundee United really really pleased to be involved in that and it was a massive day for St Johnston you know a historic day for them and I, I was you know a very small part of the production that day you know on the pitch interviewing players and you know, I like that. You know, I've done Champions League uh, with Celtic home and away. I was at their first ever uh, away win in the Champions League in Moscow in uh, 2012. You know, that, that was a great memory for Sky Sports News. You know, I was in the Hibs dressing room and they won the Scottish Cup. Historic moment, doing a lot of, you know, stuff there and on the, the open top bus, doing the interviews and the lives. That was, you know, quite big. I was in uh, at Tynecastle Park after they had beat uh, Hibs uh, in the Cup final in 2012 doing... Uh, updates and reports on their parade, you know, so there's a lot of big things. Scotland games, you know, I, I got to do Scotland-England um, with Jeff Shreves, where kind of, he was doing the England interviews, I was doing the Scotland interviews, and we won a, an RTS Scotland award for, for the best uh, sports show that year, so proud to be a part of that, you know, um, so I look back and go, yeah, and you know, we had all the, the Rangers situation back in the day, a massive, massive sports story in this country, probably one of the biggest, you know, and Probably looking back now, I didn't realise exactly how big it was and exactly what was going on. You know, I would probably approach it differently now with hindsight and experience. But, um, you know, that was massive, you know, going around, you know, on that sort of journey as well. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of big sporting events, a lot of big stories that I, I was pleased to be a part of, you know, and saw a lot of players in Scotland that have, have gone on uh, to do really well in England. Uh, Robertson, we mentioned Van Dyke, Armstrong, McGinn. You know, guys like that, Tierney, that you know, we've been able to, to interview and, and see the progression in their career. So, yeah, um, 
you know, looking forward now, you know, I, I want to continue doing what I'm doing. I want to see Scotland get to a major tournament and to be able to report on, you know, oh, no. a game that sees them qualify. It would be brilliant if we're in November, you know, we're over either in Norway or Serbia, you know, interviewing Steve Clark and the boys on the pitch after they've qualified, you know, and as a big Scotland fan that I am, you know, uh, I would just, I just really hope that we can do that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited going forward. I hope that all those things I've just listed are just, you know, going to be, you know, one of many uh, things I've been involved in. So, you know, hopefully there's, there's a lot more time yet, you know. But there's always some young whippersnapper. It might be you coming up, you know, and, uh, you know, you've got, you might have the youthful looks and I might be getting old and grey. So, you know, you always, uh, there is always that. And I think young talent will always come through. And I was, I was young uh, when I got my chance to, to be the trackside reporter. So you've got to be mindful that sometimes, you know, people might want to make a change. Hopefully not just now, uh, certainly not next season. So I'm really looking forward to that. Listen, Luke, thank you very much for joining me. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to pick your brains and th thanks very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Well, there you go. Some great stuff there from Luke. A really interesting chat about his career so far and an absolutely fantastic job. A big thank you to him for giving up his time to come on the podcast. One of the nicest guys that I've met through football, so a big shout out to him. Luke will of course be part of Sky Scottish football coverage this year, with the new season kicking off in just a week, which I'm sure you listening are just as buzzing as I am about. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter, at the FT Whistle Pod. Subscribe on the platform you listened on, and share the podcast about too. If you've missed any other episodes as well, Give them a wee listen. Take care and all the best. Thank you very much again. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>